0: Let's, let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go Judges 8. Our, our church is going through a study of Judges right now, uh, calling it Guts, Grit, and Glory. It's, it's just a wartime mentality battle. There's guts, there's grit, there's glory. There's a lot of things like that going on, and we'll try to catch you up today if you've not been a part of that with us. Judges 8 today. Um, I'm entering into my fourth year as being the pastor here at Lye Point Stewart's Creek. Praise the Lord, humbled by to serve alongside of you. Thank you for your grace and patience, and and all the things, and for not running me off, and all, all of those things. I'm excited about that. But some of you, some of you know this, some of you don't know this. Prior to uh, me being called into full time ministry, I operated uh, health clubs. I was in the health club industry for 17 years. Uh, now I say that. Don't come out at next steps and ask me for exercises to get your abs right or your triceps. I was not a trainer. I uh, I was on the operational side, the management side of health clubs. But one of the things that I saw um, in my 17 years, so many people who came in, uh, signed up, fired up to change their, their lives and their bodies uh, only to quickly fade out towards the end. I mean, they came in early, right? They're fired up to change their life. And this is probably a lot of us in the room, to be honest with you, Meet myself included. We come in, we're all pumped up, change life. You come in, you start coming in, working out your discipline your first week. You come in, once you get past the crippling soreness, right? Uh, you start to feel good. You're coming every day, you start to feel muscles that, that actually you didn't feel there before. Hey, I got something going on here, right? You start walking around the, the health club and you start looking at yourself in the mirror when you did avoid the mirror. Uh, you start to feel a little more comfortable about yourself. So what you do is you go shopping, right? You shed all the loose clothes and you go buy all yoga pants, spandex, and tight tees. You know what I'm talking about. I'm feeling really good and things are happening, but something happens along the way something happens. Uh, distractions start to press in. Life starts to press in. You lose focus. You drift. You go missing from the health club, and the, 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 the health club operator, the owner, whatever, puts an Amber alert out for you. They can't find you anywhere. You're gone. Uh, you go. You started out strong, but you didn't finish Strong at the halfway mark, right? So this is, a, this is a, a truth for all of us. We've all done that. We've all started things strong, and we've not finished them strong. Uh, I put a a, a a social media post uh, this week here, trying to get a little sermon illustration help from you guys. Things you start strong and you don't finish strong. There was no shortage of answers. Thank you for doing that. Uh, some of those uh, things included, because this is all of us, right? Right. Uh, From exercise, diets, fidget spinners, flossing, mullets, marriages, titans, to paying attention to my sermons. All right? I know I hit those a lot. Uh, These are things you might start really strong, uh, but you don't finish strong. Uh, And the reality of that, as we segue into the sermon, is this is a truth and this is a reality for our spiritual lives as well. So many people, they come out of the gate, they get saved. They come to Jesus Christ, saving faith. They come and they run out of that grave Right, But then soon after that, it begins to turn into a stroll or a crawl or even an eventual halt. People get baptized, they're excited, life change, only to fade away, to disappear, start strong, to not finish it well. Others we called uh, back earlier in the year to family worship to read, pray, and sing in your homes, to be little little churches at your house to begin to pastor your families and not have the church do it for you. And a lot of you came out of the gate strong, and it faded quickly. Some of you came through our sacred gathering with just some a purpose, a renewed purpose, a spiritual vitalization, and then you faded. Some of you went to camp, and you experienced a spiritual high. And if we are not careful, and if we are not... Do not learn from Gideon. We will fade into the spiritual abyss, and we will disappear. And that is what happens today to our man Gideon. Now, if you've been walking through our study uh, today... Here's what, here's what Gideon's story is. Really quickly, God chose him, set him apart to deliver uh, the Israelites from the, from the Midian, Midianites. He, he, they, they're the enemies, and he's chosen him. He goes and finds Gideon, hunkered down in a hole. He's not a courageous man at all. And Jesus Christ actually says, hey, Gideon, you are courageous. I'm going to make you courageous, and I'm actually going with you to do all of these things. So he, he brings Gideon up. He rises him up. He gets all this courage and moxie. He goes down to tear down his daddy's idols. He builds an altar to worship God, brings the people back. God says, okay, now I want you to lead 300 men, like farmers, not Spartans, against 135,000 Midianites in a battle. And all those things, Gideon leads them faithfully while God destroyed the Midianites without a single shot fired, not a single Israelite casualty. God got all the glory. But Gideon was faithful. Gideon was faithful, so Gideon takes the opening kick off to the house, y'all. That's what he's doing right now. But what we will see today is the demise, the fumble of Gideon begins to happen. He begins to come prideful, arrogant, harsh, withholds forgiveness, pouring out judgment upon his enemies. He actually leads the people back to idolatry, if you can believe that. And in the process, he ruins his kids, his grandchildren, all generations after him, including the next three generations of judges. Destruction, all because of one single man. We want to learn from Gideon. We want to learn to finish strong, unlike Gideon. Right? That's our bottom line today. We hope you encourage you all to finish strong that we would learn from Gideon it's so easy for us to look at that story and be like Gideon how could you do that after what God had done how could you turn back and start worshiping false idols and get this wicked heart again before we are quick to point the finger at Gideon and say how in the world could you do that we are Gideon We all have displayed at times of our life, if not today, the characteristics that we'll see in Gideon today. We need to learn from Gideon. We need to learn from these things so that we may be able to evaluate and examine our own hearts to see where we're like him. And then hopefully repent of these things. And avoid the destruction we'll see in this man today. And then ultimately what we'll do... At the very end, we'll see why we never put our hope in any mortal man on this earth to be our hero. We won't. They're all failures. Every man in the Bible, aside from Jesus Christ, will fail. Everyone. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was a liar. Had a child out of wedlock. Moses, a murderer. David, adulterer. Samson, womanizer. Solomon knew everything but God. And we'll see how Gideon today spoils, his heart becomes sour. All right, so let me pray. And then let me me tell you real quickly, the text that we're in today, listen, it's not feel good. You're going to see a lot of death, destruction, gore, demise of Gideon. So this is not this feel good. I'm just telling you, it's not me. I'm just reading the text. All right, so let me pray. And then uh, we'll open up God's word. Thank you, Lord, for today, for assembling a lot of people in the room for your purpose. There's a reason we're all here that is deeper beyond what maybe seems from the outside. Father, I believe through these double doors today, people have walked in and there are some disturbed people. There are people facing adversity in their life today. And uh, Father, I pray that you comfort them in their adversity. That you show them that there is a perfect king, a perfect judge, a perfect God-man. His name is Jesus Christ to put all their hope and trust in. And Father, I pray also for the ones who came in this room very comfortable today. They are walking in prosperity, or what seems to be prosperity. Their life is good. They really have no need for Jesus and church and all these things. I pray that you disturb them today. I pray that you disturb something in their hearts and their souls and their guts until they see that they need a Savior. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who is that Savior, who is that King, who is the last judge we praise all of our hope in him. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's go. Uh, when we left this story off last week, Gideon is on this high. I mean, he's the man. Uh, they just defeated. Uh, now, what did happen in the story, though, is they killed 120,000 of the Midianites died. 15,000 are now on the run. Like the, so Gideon's chasing the 15,000 down because he's going to finish them off, and he begins to call in reinforcements in chapter 7. That sounds pretty smart, like pretty tactical. Hey, it's calling reinforcements. The problem is God called 300 men. He didn't call reinforcements. So we already begin to see Gideon doing things his own way, whereas he was waiting for God for instruction. Now he's acting on his own accord And this is the beginning, the infant stages of his demise. Let's keep going. And we're going to read verses 4 through 9. And Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over. He and 300 men who were with him, exhausted yet pursuing. So he said to the men of Succoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they exhausted. And I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. And the officials of Succoth said to him, are the hands of Z- Zebah and Zalmonah already in your hand, that we should get, give bread to your army? So Gideon said, Well then, when the Lord has given Zebah and Zalmunna into my hand, I will flail your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And from there he went up to Penuel, and he spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered And he said to the men of Penuel, When I come again in peace, I will break down the tower. All right, so here's what's happening. So as Gideon pursues, going down to chase the rest of the Midianites that remain, he comes to two cities. Now, these are fellow Israelites. These aren't enemies. These are brothers of him, fellow clansmen. And he comes down, and he comes to the first city. It's called Succoth. Now, listen, this is the worst name for a a city in the history of the world, right? My city, Succoth, right? This is horrible. No one wants to be from Succoth. But he he comes down to them and he says, hey, my men, they're tired. They're exhausted. They need bread. Could, Could you give them some bread? And they refuse. Now, the least that they could do, right? I'm thinking Gideon's probably very perturbed at this point. While I'm out fighting your battles for you, you should have been out there fighting with us, but you stayed home. You rode the fence you're home and watching Netflix while we're out in the battle. And the least you can do here is just give us some bread while we pass through, right? And they said, no. Are, are the, are the, have you already delivered Zeba and Zalmona? Have you already defeated them? No. Well, if, if we give it to you now and you lose this battle, Gideon, then what will happen is, is they'll come back and they'll kill us for supporting and helping you. Gideon gets ticked. He says, all right, you want to go that way? Here's what I'll do. After I defeat these two kings, after I won, win victory, I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm going to horse whip you with briars and thorns. I'm going to smack the taste out of your mouth is what he's saying. Right? Then he goes to Panuel. He says the same thing. Panuel meets him and says, hey, we're not helping you. What if you lose? They'll come back and kill us. He says, no problem. I'll come back and I'll just burn the city down. That's what's going on with Gideon. Now, do you see a massive transformation from two chapters ago? A humble man, a quiet man who would not move unless the Lord told him to move. Compassionate man, walking with the Lord, directing his pathway. And now what we're beginning to see is the heart of Gideon starting to sour. This doesn't sound like a compassionate man who's following Jesus Christ. He wants to act as his own judge. This is a man who hasn't even drawn a sword yet, right? Not in a battle. He's not a warrior. He hasn't drawn a sword. And now he says, I'm going to kill all of you. I'm going to whip you with thorns. See, Gideon's trying to play God right here. God was the executor of the judgment back in seven. Now Gideon says, I want to be God. I will execute. I will execute judgment. Now, this is a beginning and application for us. If we, our hearts begin to turn sour like Gideon, these are the infant stages that we start to withhold forgiveness of people. We start to withhold grace. We start to execute judgment on other people. I'll get them back. Oh, they're going to pay for what I or what they did to me. I'm going to take this in my own hands. That is the beginning stages of a souring heart. We are mercy extenders to love our enemies, but that's not what Gideon's doing. Why? There's no communion with God. We'll get into that in just a moment. Now, judging someone else's sin because it looks different than yours. We, are, we get so judgmental, people. We do, don't we? We get so judgmental. But here's the deal. God has not called us to judge. He's, all, our call, all we're called to do is to obey God, not to play God. All right, so so extend forgiveness and don't harbor judgment. Let's keep going, because what happens in 10 through 12, we're going to skip through that, but he captures these two kings. He captures Zeba and Zalmane, and now what he does is he goes back to Succoth and Penuel, like he said he was going to do. So here's what he does in verses 13 through 17. Then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle at the ascent of Heres, and he captured a young man of Succoth and questioned him. And he wrote down for him the officials and the elders of Succoth. Seventy-seven men. And he came to the men of Succoth and said, Behold, Zebah and Zalmanah, about whom you taunted me, saying, Are the hands of Zebah and Zalmanah already in your hand, that we should give bread to your men who are exhausted? And he took the elders of the city, and he took thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them taught the men of Succoth a lesson. That's awesome, right? And he broke down the tower of Penuel, and he killed the men of the city. So he does what he said he's going to do. Everybody, or who's seen Braveheart in this room? Probably everybody. The rest of you just didn't want to raise your hands. But here's the deal. Uh, Braveheart. So Braveheart's awesome. This is a little bit like Braveheart. Remember when William Wallace, he tried to rally the fellow clansmen to join him in the fight against England and Longshanks. And he goes around and they're like, hey, we're not supporting this. If we get involved and you lose this, William Wallace and Longshanks is going to come back and he's going to kill us. So what does he do? William Wallace in the movie says, all right, I'm going to come back and I'm going to kill you for opposing me and, and, and for, for not supporting me. So that's kind of what you're beginning to see here happen as, as Gideon re-enters into these cities of Succoth to execute judgment. Now he rolls up in the city and he gets a young man. He gets a young man in the city. says, hey, hey, son, come here real quick. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to go into the city, and I want you to get a list of the elders of the church in there. I want you to go get a list of all the elders and write their names down and come back out, and I'm getting ready to kick tail. And he whips them with, like I said, a horse whip of briars and thorns. Now, this is where you get the phrase uh, taking names and kicking tail, all right? Uh, that's a joke, y'all. Y'all can laugh at that. It's not really where it came from. But that's what's going on here. So in this, uh, by the time he gets to uh, Pinel, he, he got so mad that he just wipes them all out. He just kills them, kills them all. This is a man who his heart continues to sour. He's executing vengeance. These are his fellow Israelites, y'all. This, are, this is not the enemies now. He's turned on his own brothers and he's pouring out judgment. Now, to a certain extent, I get why there was frustration with Gideon. These are supposed to be his fellow brothers in Christ. They're supposed to be fighting in the battle. And instead of fighting, they were very neutral. They were very lukewarm. And doesn't Jesus say, I vomit out lukewarm Christians. I'd rather you just be hot or cold. Don't be neutral, So I get, I understand why Gideon is frustrated, but at no point did God call him to execute judgment on any of these kings. No people in the cities, but he is taking it by the reins. He is playing God. And there is this taste of victory that Gideon has sipped on, and now he has a taste for glory. His heart is changing. He used to consider success to him was Jesus I'm not going anywhere without you Jesus if, if 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 you're not with me then this doesn't matter Jesus I'm doing whatever you tell me to do and now his success is measured in I do what I want to do I'll go where I want to go I'll fight this own battle myself and I'll claim the victory for myself noticeably absent from all of chapter 8 is the Lord do not miss that Gideon is not consulting God in anything. He's not calling and crying out to him. He's acting in his own power and his own authority. He has been infected with the sin of pride. Pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. It's silent, but it's deadly, and it's eating Gideon alive. Let's keep going in the text in 18 through 21. Then he said to Zeba and Zalmunna. Where are the men whom you killed at Tabor? They answered, As you are, so were they. Every one of them resembled the son of a king. And he said, They were my brothers, the sons of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. So he said to Jether, his firstborn, Rise and kill them. But the young man did not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a young man. Then Zebah and Zalmunna said, rise yourself and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and killed Zebah and Zalmunna, and he took the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of their camels. So he rolls up to these kings, and he sees them, he asks the kings, he says, where's the men you killed in Tabor? And these kings said, well, they, look, they looked a lot like you, right? They were kings. They, they looked just like you, in fact, Gideon. Gideon's like, yeah, I know they were my brothers. They were my mother's sons, and you killed them all. And now you're going to die for what you did. And he's executing, once again, judgment. But he doesn't just want to make them pay. He wants to humiliate them for wronging him now. So what does he do? He recruits his youngest son. He says, you're going to, it's so bad, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to get my young son to go kill you. Young son, he's like, I'm too scared. I'm just a young man. He's too afraid. He doesn't do it. So then they mock him, Gideon. You're so strong, man. Why don't you do it yourself? Why do you need your son to do it? Gideon obliges. He accepts the invitation and kills Zebah and Zelmon on the spot. This continuation is crazy. He hired his son as an assassin, a murderer, seeking vengeance for those who have wronged him. This is not the Gideon we saw in chapter. Seven, Violence? He started strong, but he is failing, and he's failing fast. Verse 22 through 28. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you the lord will rule over you sounds cool so far but hang tight and gideon said to them let me make a request of every one of you gave me the earrings of your spoil for they had golden earrings because they were ishmaelites and they answered we will willingly give them and they spread a cloak and every man threw it in the earrings of his spoil and the weight of the golden earrings that requested was 1700 shekels of gold besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Ophrah, and all of Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more, and the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. Gideon was a national hero. Could picture him maybe taking him out, rising him up in victory. They're celebrating all the things that he has done. They said, Gideon, be our king. Exalting him and his monarchy we will give you everything. You can be king, and then your kids can be king, and your grandsons can be king. They're offering him a deal of a lifetime. Sounds pretty tempting. Gideon actually has a good response here. no. God is king. I will not be your king. I will not rule over you. My son will not rule over you. There is only one king, and God is king. Right? This great theology from Gideon. But here's the problem. His actions didn't match what he was professing with his mouth. With his mouth, he said, God is king. But with his life, he showed that he was, in fact, king. His There's an inconsistency in him with what he's saying and what he is living like. Paul talks about this in Titus. People that profess God is king with their mouth and their lives don't look like it. He calls them detestable, unusable by God. Strong words. Yes, your life matters. The way you live your life shows who your king is. Does your life matter? Show that you're king or that Jesus is king of your life. Let's look at what Gideon did here, why he showed himself to be king. I'm not a king. Listen, I'm not a king, but look what he does. First thing he does, he spreads out a garment, lays it on the ground. He says, give me the earrings of your spoil, of the war. I want you to give all of your earrings, give these gold things on this garment. You know what he's doing? He's taking up an offering. He requested uh, an offering of all of these to all of the people, like a king. In verse 30, we are told that Gideon has many wives. He has a concubine, like a king. He's very much acting like a king. He has a son. We'll learn in just a minute. His name is Abimelech. Abimelech in Hebrew means, my daddy's a king. Say what? Are you tracking with that? I'm naming my son. His name means my daddy's king. So he's very much acting like a king, right? Saying God's king, but he's living like he's a king. He goes on and he took this money from this collection and he made this golden ephod. A golden ephod is this vest that the priest uh, would wear as he accessed the tabernacle. He takes this golden ephod and he takes it and he puts it back in the city of Ophrah and it says the people hoard after it. That's a strong and mighty word, right? What does that mean? He says that all, the, all of the devotion and the attention that was on God has now been looked at, the golden ephod that they're worshiping up in Ophrah. What was God's devotion? All we it were focused on God. Now it's looking at this golden ephod and he says they hoard. Hoard after it. It didn't say they were distracted. It didn't say they liked that thing more than God. It said they hoard after it. Anytime, people, listen, anytime that we love or are devoted to that gets more time and attention than God Himself, the Bible says that we whore after it. It's a powerful word. Those are not my words, those are God's words. Now, what He's doing here, theologians debate. What he's doing with this ephod. Some theologians would say that he's simply uh, saying that he's going to act as a priest to go between by wearing the vest, while others say this is similar uh, to what Aaron did at the bottom of Mount Sinai when he made the golden calf, right? Hey, we need something to worship. Let's give us an object. And therefore they say, well, this is what Gideon's doing here. It's an object of worship. Either way, We know that this ephod became a stumbling block for Israel. Gideon birthed another false idol that pulled the people away from God. He had torn his daddy's idols down. He worshiped the one true God. And now he says, I'll give you another idol to worship. Stumbling block. Gideon was in power. Gideon's ministry was strong. And he fails right here and the people all start to go astray as a pastor of a church that terrifies me because we all see the power and the potential of a pastor in the american church god uses in incredible ways maybe he's a courageous man he comes in and god begins to do great things in the church a lot of victories all over the place and then that man begins to sour and begin to think this is about him it's what i do It's about my voice, my way, follow me. And then we see the destruction of the church to soon follow. God will not tarry in tearing that church down. Hear me on that right now. He may not do it in the timing we want to, but no church that stands on the principles of a man or even the church will survive. It is the church based upon Jesus Christ. He gets all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. And if this is a church that God begins to do great things here. He begins to grow this church and multiply this church and bring you back next week. And the third service blows out. And at the end of the day, we stand up and say, look what I did. Look what I did. Look what we did. If we ever do that, man, I pray that we repent and we get all praise and honor to glory to God who does mighty things. We do nothing. All. We need to hold each other accountable In that way, that we do not steal glory from God. So here's what, here's the transition. Let's actually just read the text. This is the last piece of it, 29 through 31. Let's continue to see what he does. 29. Jerubbabel, also Gideon, the son of Joash, went out and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. And his concubine was in Shechem and bore him a son. And he called his name Abimelech. I already told you about Abimelech. But here's what we see. Gideon's life has turned into this dumpster fire of moral failure. God had clearly said in Genesis that marriage was between one man and one woman. Anything outside of that is a moral failure, y'all. And he has... Seventy wives, concubines, people all over the place. Moral failure creeps into his life, and it begins to cause destruction, not only in his life, but in the life of his sons. Abimelech, as I told you about, Abimelech was born with that curse. He comes in the world. Abimelech wants to be king. Gideon dies, and Abimelech says, I want to be king. And matter of fact, I, I'm so uh, passionate and zealous to be king. I'm willing and I will kill 68 of my brothers so I can be king. And that's what he does. Your sin, your curse has impact on generations, your children, your children's children. And we see the destruction go on in his family. We as parents today and grandparents have the ability to bless our children and grandchildren or we can curse them. We can bless them by engaging in family worship at our homes, being little pastors, studying with our children, read, pray, sing, not asking the church to do it for us, teaching the kids in the home, the things of God, remembering, telling them what God has done over and over and over again to avoid idols in our life creeping in. Blessings for generations. Listen, if you do family worship at home, the Lord will bless it. I promise you he will. He's doing it in so many families in this church. But when you fail to do these things, when you do not step into the places where God has called you to do, you are in fact cursing your children and cursing their children. And listen, here's the point. God doesn't curse your children and children's children. You do by your own sin. We have an incredible opportunity to bless our children and learn from Gideon. So let 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 me close with application. Okay, let me, there's a lot of things we walked through, there was some application through, but let me, um, let me take this to finishing strong. I don't want you to fade. I don't want you to do what Gideon did. I don't want you to be a Gideon. I want you to finish strong because as I said, there's so many of us in this place where we get saved and get baptized and some of you get baptized today and you got saved at camp and you're trying to do family worship at your home and all of these things. I do not want you to fade. I want you to finish strong. So let's look at some things that we learned from Gideon of what he did so we can avoid the same pitfalls. The first one is this. In order to finish strong, you got to commit to commune with God through his word and prayer. Now, that's not some blown away statement. Like you just heard a pastor say, hey, read your Bible and pray. Right? I'm not that good. You've heard that tons of times. But here's what's profound. Noticeably absent, as I told you earlier, that in chapter 8, God is not present. Gideon is not communing with God at all. There is no, God help me. Tell me where to go. God give me this. God give me that. I want to follow you. Go with me. There's nothing at all happening. There is no commune with God as his life begins to go downward. He's not talking to God. This is a profound thing, as I said, that Finishing strong means you've got to commune by reading the Bible. Read the Bible. All right, so let me show you a little quick, quick thing to how we finish. We start strong, we don't finish strong. Uh, how many of you, show of hands, help me out here, don't, don't go cold. How many of you read Genesis? Okay, Exodus. Numbers. Leviticus. All right, you guys get the point. We start strong, don't We start with a bang. Get into Numbers and Leviticus, we start to fade. So how do we do that? How do we avoid the pitfalls of Gideon and begin to study our Bibles? Let me tell you why, number one, why Gideon was good at doing this. Why was he so good at calling out to God and praying to God and having this commune with him early on? Because he faced adversity. He was in a storm. He wasn't in comfort he was in adversity. His prayer life and his Bible reading was not a discipline, it was desperation. Discipline's a good thing, desperation is better. So the prayer is not, hey, everybody, let's get more disciplined at reading our Bible and praying. What it should be is God give us desperation for prayer and for reading, like breathing right? Aren't we desperate to breathe? We don't breathe, we, we die, right? It's a, it's a desperation to breathe. Like no one has to call their friend and say, hey man, how you, are you breathing today? I want to hold you accountable and you're breathing. Are you doing really good there? Like no one has to do that. It is a desperation for us and it should be a desperation to read our Bible and to pray unto God. Reading our Bible, Uh, Let's do some practical application here. Listen, uh, redeem the commute on the way to work in the morning. You have a lot of selections on your dial, a lot of things you can listen to. Or you can redeem your commute and listen to the Word of God being talked over you. That's how the Old Testament saints learned the Bible, by the way. It was taught to them. It was spoken to them. Redeem the commute. Get home. Get your Bible out. Get your Bible out. You know, this thing that flops and it's holding your hand and put the phone down, put it in another room. I get, try to study the Bible with my phone. I'm getting text alerts, just like you. Distractions, all are coming in. They're knocking my thoughts every bit way sideways possible. Sit the phone down. Go study the Word of God. Get a pen out. Write things down. Study the Bible. Not only study the Bible, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you to study theology. Theology. Somewhere along the line, the word theology or studying theology became this idea that you became cold and crusty and unloving, intellectual. That's just the people who study theology. That could not be further from the truth. You know, the word theology means studying God. If you want to love God more, you have to study God. You can't love what you don't know. Our love of God, our worship to God, our commitment to God is tied to how much we study him, right? We study sermons. We study the deep things of God, not the surface level things. It's not reserved for the pastors and the seminary students. It's for all people, including women. Women, listen, there's nowhere in the Bible that says that you should just stick to pretty books with flowers that tell you that you're beautifully and fearfully made study theology, study the deep things of God if you want to find your identity. Theology is for all people. Second principle that we're going to see, let me touch on the prayer aspect real quick because I I hit on the word of God. Listen, prayer, prayer is a gift from God that he's given you to commune with him. If you're in Christ Jesus, he's made you a royal priest. You can access him directly. You don't have to go through a priest. You go right to him. And we're all praying people. Here's what I mean by that. Prayer is the intentional conveying of a message to God. Intentional conveying of a message to God. Why is the word intentional important? Because we're all day long sending messages to God. Either intentional or unintentional. When I fail to pray, when you fail to pray, we're still sending messages to God all day long. Here's another one, God. You're not important. I don't need you. I can do this on my own. I'll fight my own battles. You're sending a, an unintentional message all day long when you do not pray that you can do this just like Gideon. And a life that is void of reading the Scriptures, the Word of God, and then praying will eventually turn into destruction. It may not tomorrow. You might be like, well, I've been doing it for a while. I didn't really call it ain't really caught up to me yet. Yet, it will, it will catch up to you. Stay strong. Finish strong. Stay in the Word of God. Number two commit to being involved in church community chapter 7 Gideon is around 300 committed 300 it's thriving they're speaking there was life and there's he's doing community with these 300 they're going together traveling together and now what we're beginning to see is Gideon's going rogue he don't need the church anymore he's making his own call I can do this all my own. I'm a lone Christian, and I do not need the church. I don't need its counsel. I don't need anybody speaking into my life. I'll do it my way. Look at Proverbs 18.1. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Like Gideon, when you drift away from the church and community, it becomes all about you. No, you don't want anybody speaking into your life, saying hard things. You get offended. I'll do my thing. You do your thing. Leave me alone. I can be a Christian anywhere in the world. I don't have to be a part of the church. That is a lie from the pit of hell. When you come to Jesus, you come to the church. He saved a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We're wired to live and thrive in community with one another. You have to have the church or you will suffer the same fate that we see In Gideon. The last piece here is being faithful in adversity and prosperity. Last one, being faithful in adversity and prosperity. That's the story we see in Gideon. When he was was weak, when he was busted up, when he was a meek man and facing great adversity in the middle of a battle, 300 verse 135, he thrived in adversity depended upon the lord jesus tell me where to go tell me what to do i'm not going without you in his adversity gideon was faithful where gideon failed was in his prosperity when the victory was won the battle was won all of the enemies down that's where he began to fail christians often pass the test of adversity but fail the test of prosperity And you know what I'm talking about. There's been people just like this, and maybe you had times where people just in adversity, they're coming to the Lord. I got a cancer diagnosis, a tumor. I don't know what's going on here. My marriage is wrecked up. I don't know what's happened. My kids don't listen to me. I don't have a job. I don't know where my career's going. I don't know where I'm going to live. God, deliver me from this adversity. They lean in, they lean into the Lord. And that's a great place to lean into. God provides victory in those areas overcomes the battles and the enemies that are around you, provides, and what happens? Prosperity sets in and people get wooed away. I got what I wanted out of you. I don't need you anymore. I'll do it my way now. Thanks for the help, but I'm good now. That's what we see out of Gideon. And we have to be careful and to to overcome not only adversity, but prosperity because prosperity is the very thing or can be the very thing that woos us away from the heart of God. Not always. Not always. But it can. That's why we don't preach a health and wealth prosperity gospel here. Because sometimes prosperity will woo you away from the heart of God. As I said, not always, but sometimes it does. As we close out, the band's going to come up. And here's what I want you to know today. The moral of Gideon's story. The moral of Gideon's story, the moral of every single human in the Bible, including ourselves today what we see is the problem is never outside of ourselves it's always inside of ourselves we are our own worst enemy we don't need someone to just to fix our problems we need to fix someone to fix us right we don't need someone to deliver us from the curse that's outside of us we need someone to deliver the curse that is in within us our own hearts we need heart change We need a divine surgeon to take this heart that's cold and stony and mess it all up and wreck it and blow it up and turn it to a heart of flesh. We don't need a king like Gideon. We need a perfect king. We need a perfect judge who not only saves us from our enemies, delivers us from all those things, but a king that makes us like him. I'll make you like me. And that king is Jesus Christ. Unlike Gideon, he is worthy to wear the ephod. He is the final priest, and he can wear it. Unlike Gideon, Jesus does not require anything from you to make a robe for himself. Instead, he takes your sin and gives you a robe of righteousness that you gain access to heavenly places. Unlike Gideon, Jesus, when he looks upon his enemies... He does not whip us with briars and thorns and burn us down into the ground. He says, I'll go to the cross for you. I'll die for my enemies. And he willingly absorbed the hot wrath of God on the cross. That's the king we need. That's the savior we need. That's the judge that we need. That's the hope of all mankind. It is all found in Jesus Christ. Christ. Pay the sins for every single one of us, past, present, and future. He is your only way to righteousness. You will never stand before a holy God with your own righteousness. You will fail. It is only the righteousness of Jesus Christ will you be saved. And I pray, I pray this morning, our staff pray this morning, that there will be a lot of people in here that do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray the Lord brought people here today that today you would hear that you cannot put your hope in any man to stand before a holy God, and that only man could be you. You can't even trust yourself. Trusting in Christ and Christ alone is the only way you'll be right with God. It's our only hope. So I pray today that God moves you to that place. If that's a stirring in your heart, a pit in your stomach, an uncomfortability, whatever the case may be, I pray God woos you to himself, and you would lay down your life and give it to Jesus Christ. Let me pray and then we'll continue to worship this morning. Father, thank you so much for ears today. Father, I just pray that you broke through any hard-heartedness and coldness in us today that says we don't need you. God save people today and very Clearly, we say do it because you're the only one that can. And that God those today that they know your son, Jesus Christ. Would you help them to finish strong, to lean in, lean into communing with you daily, to embracing the church. And Father, for, for being faithful in adversity and in prosperity. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.